All right. So we're going to talk about family discipleship again tonight. And uh, we'll see, see how well Candace and I are doing with Cooper. Amen. So I, I just love, you know, we've got to go back to some, some scripture that really identifies um, our identity um, in Christ. The first one tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What is the Apostle Paul saying there? He knew that as he is following Jesus and he is showing a good witness that he could get people on board with following him as he follows God. Now, here's the key thing we all need to remember as we discussed uh, pretty in depth last week is for you to be able to disciple other people, you know, meaning your kids, your family, and your, your friends, and your circle of influence, you yourself need to be in the mind of Christ. You yourself need to be able to hold to the mantle of diligently seeking Jesus every single day, whether you, your feelings want you to or not. Whether your emotions want you to or not. This is, this is an area that, that I struggle with. It's an area that I believe, if we're being honest, that many of us struggle with is, is staying on the path of righteousness daily. Daily, daily. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at this room tonight. There's, there's just a lot of heartache in here tonight. There's just a lot of people hurting. And let's, let's, let's take a few more minutes and pray because you guys are not ready to hear the word tonight. Close your eyes, please. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that tonight is a divine appointment. We thank you, Father, that tonight is a divine appointment for myself and for everyone else here tonight. God, we need to receive. We need to be able to hear your voice clearly. But we've got to open ourselves in order that for that to occur. God, right now, we need to be a people that come before you and we repent for any bitterness, for any unforgiveness, for any pain that is lingering. I want you guys to do this this very moment or you're going to miss this night. Lord, please forgive me for anything that I have said or done that is not pleasing to you. For anything that falls away from your call on my life. God, I pray that you would do the same for each of those tonight that are requesting of that right now. That you would bless them and that you would forgive them. And that we would receive tonight what you have to say to us. We thank you, Father. We are so grateful that you... Understand, You are the one that heals the wounds. You are the one that plots the course for our lives. And so, Father, we want to completely follow after you. Not our emotions. Not our own desires. But your desire tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Thomas Watson said this. A father is a looking glass. Which the child often dresses himself by. Let the glass be clear and not spotted. How many of you would agree tonight 
that we are responsible on how much we shine and reflect the light of Jesus. God's not responsible for that. We are responsible for cleaning up our stuff. Now listen, the blood does all the hard work. Okay? The blood is the best Windex in the world. Yes. You, you guys ever get your windows tinted on your car and they say, don't use this kind of glass cleaner because it may mess up your tent? How many of you have actually ever remembered to do that? You know, we grab whatever glass cleaner is there, we start cleaning our window, and, and it looks clean, and it looks fine, and, but maybe a few years later, you really did use one with ammonia, and now the tent on your car is starting to turn purple. And you're like, didn't the guy that installed this tell me that I should use an appropriate cleaner? And I wonder if God just says, didn't I tell all of them to apply the blood? Did, didn't I tell all of them to just be in Christ? Right? It really is. I, I, I know it's hard for so many of us. I'm, I know it's been hard in my life in so many areas. But if we could just apply the blood of Jesus to everything that we say and we do, our perceptions, our children, our family would change in an instant. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, all right, let's, let's go through some, some topics tonight. Candace is going to put some slides up. The first one, or the second one, would be family discipleship modeling, which is serving as a godly example for your family living out your genuine walk with God and demonstrating true repentance where and when you fall short. Isn't the greatest mark of somebody that is discipling is that they admit their shortcomings in the very beginning. And they say to you, listen, Here's the one thing that you've got to remember as I am trying to mentor and disciple you, whether your children or your family or your friends, is, thank you, Cooper, is that I first have to admit that we are to follow not me, not you, not a church, not a denomination, but we are to follow the example of Christ, right? Discipleship means nothing, as I said last week, if we are trying to clone Christians. Cloning Christians doesn't work. Because what happens if you clone a bunch of people um, under a pastor? Let's give that as an example. If you have a, a church that is cloned under the pastor, and the church has taken on the, the, the personality and maybe some of the giftings of the pastor, what happens if you're following the pastor and the pastor stumbles and falls, what do you have left? Religion. You have nothing left except religion. Because you put your eyes on a man instead of the man. You put your eyes on something that falters and fails. You, you family members, you dads, primarily with you dads, starting with you, your eyes have to be on Father God at all times. Or what you say and what you do is going to be null and void because you cannot 
keep that mask on and your kids not see right through you. Amen. Everybody understand that. Before you can diligently teach God's commands to your children, you must have them, as Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 says, that you need them on your heart. On your heart. No one is asking you to fake a spiritual life. If you notice something, and I know I've already made this point, but let me, let me just stay here and camp here for just a second. If you decide to be a person outside of the home and outside of the church, and you decide to have a secondary life like that, it will always catch up with you. This morning we've got some, some leaks in our basement. I don't who created basements? Who's been, find out for me. I know they're probably dead now. They're probably drowned in their basement. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not a basement fan. So we've had some water. So we, so we called out this professional. He came out. And this guy happened to be a spirit-filled Christian. He ended up sitting on our porch. And we began to talk. And, and he talked about how after 43 years, he just had to leave his church because his church is for sale. And the church is for sale because it all started with a youth pastor that decided to have sex with a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old girl, girls in the youth group. And the pastor, this was the pastor's son. And this pastor, even though he may not have anything to do with it, he was held accountable. And, and I don't know that I, I sure don't know the whole story. Only God knows the whole story on these things. And we can't go by everything that we hear. But I know for sure we looked it up that this did happen. And this church is indeed closed and, and for sale. And it's part of a church with different campuses. It's Assembly of God Church. Anytime you try to cover sin. It will always come back in the face of your children. We as parents have to take the responsibility of what our children see and hear. And that is an enormous but honorable and anointed calling. That we, that God has bestowed upon us the power and the anointing of the blood of the Lamb to disciple our offspring. Does that strike anybody else as the greatest thing that we can do in our life? At one point, I'm sure Candace and homeschooling our kids, she, well, at many points, she was like, oh, do I want to keep doing this? Oh, man. I mean, especially when financially for so many years we just really struggled because we were always a one-income family. But we stuck to what God called us to do, even though it was hard and it was difficult. And we didn't always like it. 
one day, I'm sure we've had this conversation more than once, one day Candace was so, you know, upset, and this was probably when my boys were, were you know, 9th, 10th grade, and they're, they're closing in on graduation, oh, they don't want to listen, and they don't want to do this, and, and you know, can, can we just send them somewhere, <laughs> you know, is there a military school, no, we're a one-income family, we can't afford a military, or I want to send them, I want to send them. I love my kids, but, you know, not, not that much, you know. <laughs> Family discipleship tonight means that you must love your kids. Anyway, so, so she and I, I said, Candace, you've got, you got to remember, you're, you're doing the highest calling yes. of anybody on the planet. Yes. Teaching your children, discipling our children. And she did most of the hard work, you know. And I just, I wanted to say that because I, I want us to remember um, and, and it says it right here that being someone worth imitating in proximity or to your children is what's truly valid in the kingdom of God. What, what impact does your presence, your proximity have, not just on your kids, but on other people in your life? Does your proximity push people away? Because of your aggression, because of your words, because you talk about Jesus, but then you're mean? Or are you a person that is bold in the Lord, and you talk aggressive, you talk tough, but you make sure that you love people at all times, even though they don't love you, and they feel sometimes as unlovable? What kind of person are you? What kind, of per what kind of a Christian are you? Are you one that, that people want to gather around and, and grow from and, and listen to? Or are you a person that, that is repelling other people? If you are repelling other people in your life, I guarantee you there's a good chance that you're repelling your own children and your own grandchildren. All right? I'm not trying to be negative, but reality is reality. There are areas in our lives that we have to change. We cannot confess them away. We cannot believe them away. We cannot faith them away. We've got to walk the talk. We've got to do the work. If you want to pass the bar exam, you don't go in there saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to pass this bar exam and you're going to make it happen. No, you study for the bar exam where you fail. Balance. We need balance. God, I need you to fill my tank up on my truck. No court, you need to work. But God, I need you to fill the tank up on my truck. Court, you need to get a job. Are y'all understanding me tonight? A man that doesn't work does not eat. You have got to work. What, what has happened in the homes now is parents have 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 taught their children that it is by, by not teaching them, parents have taught their children that, and listen, I know this is going to grate on somebody. It's probably going to hurt your feelings. It's, it's okay. It's every week for me. Is you have introduced the iPad before you introduced the Bible. You have introduced the internet before you introduced the Bible. You introduced the Disney Channel before you introduced God's Word. You introduced the cell phone 
And you wonder at 12 and 13 years old why your kids are hooked on pornography because you put the iPad and the cell phone and the computer before the word of God and the church house. Two key components of modeling. Um, being reliable means having repentant integrity. And being relatable, meaning having relational proximity. So if you have repentant integrity, which we've already talked about already in modeling, is you model for your kids and your grandkids that you are vulnerable, and when you make a mistake, Dave talked about it the other night. My next sermon title is Meathead. But Dave was talking about, hey, I, I got upset. I was at an intersection. I don't know the, the, the full context of the story or the traffic incident, but, but, but he called that person a meathead. I, I, I just thought, man, Dave, that's the most righteous and holy thing anybody could ever say. I mean, I would have said something like, gosh darn you. And, I'm, and, and, and guess what? He had to say, was it grandchild or child? Grandchild, this is not how I'm supposed to talk. This is not how, this is not how I'm supposed to respond in anger. This is not how I'm supposed to respond in frustration. This is not, I need to bless that person that almost causes accident, right? I need to, I need to make declarations. I need to, I need to honor that person. I need to, to say things that go along with the word of God and not against the word of God. Right? How many times do we say things against the word of God and we don't even, we don't even realize it? The reason why we don't realize it is because we don't know scripture. Yeah. And you don't know scripture by one simple fact. You're not spending time with God in scripture. That's right. Okay? So we've got to be reliable and we've got to be relatable. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, become all things to all people. We need to meet people where they are, not where we want them to be. All right, I'll move on. And by the way, you can remodel. You may have not done it right the first time or the first year. You can start tonight to, to remodel your life and be a better role model to everybody else around you. Oh, well, Pastor, I blew it. Uh, my kids are older. You can start tonight and you can remodel yourself and have a better witness. It's, you can't run around with the excuse of my time has passed and I'm, I'm too old and I'm washed up. By the way, those aren't good confessions either, are they? Like what I say... Yeah, I'm 45, but in past three years, I'm 84. That's not a good, that's not a good, it's funny, but it's not a good confession. All right? Maybe it's funny to me, not you guys, all right? If you're 84, you probably don't like to comment at all. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. So, you guys know that Jesus discipled through modeling. Just a few examples. Um... John 13, Jesus taught his disciples a lesson on humility and service by washing their feet. He intended this not only to be an object lesson, but to pull insight from, but to be an example for them to follow. And he says here, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, a model that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Is here's the question. Y'all can say yes or no. Is Jesus kind to you? I'm sorry. Is Jesus kind to you? Yes. Thank you, Beverly. Wow, that's that Pentecostal voice we've been looking for here at Destiny House. So, so is is Jesus hateful to you? No, it's not. Thank you, little sweet girl in the back. And you love Sassy now, okay? So, so you model the simplicity of the gospel. If Jesus is kind to people, then we have a mandate to be kind to people. Do we get frustrated? Do we get upset? Do we want to strangle people? Yes. But you can't do it. It's, it's homicide. You'll, you'll go, to, go to prison. Okay. So, so we have to do what God has not only called us to do internally, but externally. We've got to model by our behaviors. Amen. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, switch, let me switch forward here. Lots of stuff I want to cover, but... Okay, so I, I love this quote by Howard Hendricks. If parents are looking for a convenient time to schedule family worship, they may as well forget about the idea. Christianity is not a matter of convenience. It involves cost. I love when people say to me, we haven't decided to have kids right now because it's not the right time. <laughs> it's funny. Is it ever the right time to have children? Especially for the woman, because they're giving birth to the child. That's painful, I hear. Okay? There's never a right or perfect time. There is a season, though. God tells us there is a season for everything. There's a season for war. There's a time to grieve. There's a, there's a season for every single thing under the sun. And it does matter timing. But making time is the first thing we want to talk about tonight as far as discipling our, our kids, our grandkids, our circle of influence. Family discipleship time is creating intentional time built into the rhythm of the family's life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. Family discipleship is the forefront of warfare against the demonic attacks that your children are going to face. It is not the church. And if you want to get into the definitions of the church, as you guys know, you as the body of Christ are the church. A specific located destiny house really isn't. A church unless there are Christians in it. Right? If you have a church, a building, with no one in it, and no one is attending, the, the sign shouldn't say church on it anymore. Because the church is built by human beings that have a heart for God that are saved. Amen? Yes. When people come in and they are not saved, they're, they're, they're not the body of Christ. They're not the church until they accept Christ as their Savior. And then immediately they are adopted into the body of Christ and they become part of the church. Membership does not make you a part of the church. 
Membership is man-created, not God-created. We have membership so that we have specific people that have been here, that are trusted, that, that can, can vote on important things and, and have a, so we don't have just anybody coming in and voting on something, right? When they don't know what the vision is and where the church is going. Okay, so, so you guys, so calendars and clocks have become gods in many cultures and, and many families and many churches. And I described it last week in my own life of being just, just flat out too tired to spend time with my kids. But even though I was tired, it was never an excuse that God was acceptable with. We have to go back to, I guarantee you that Jesus was tired. As he reached Golgotha, as he reached the cross, as he reached the pinnacle of what he was called to do, you think he wasn't worn out and tired in the flesh, and yet he still didn't call any angels and he died for you. We need to think about that trip. We need to think about him carrying that cross. And we need to ask ourselves if what God is asking us to do in discipling our families in the home and not being dependent on a preacher, if that's more wearing than carrying a cross for all humanity. We have the energy to disciple our family. We have the energy. If we've got time, and this, I go back to this thing, I know I'm a broken record, just you know, sue me, I guess. Good, because I'm just going to remain a broken record. Because so was Jesus. Yes. Jesus said the same things over and 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 over again. Why? Because the gospel of him is simple. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. So what I was going to say and a minute ago, God took it from me because I probably wasn't supposed to say it. So... Let's, let's, let, me, let me read this to you. Family discipleship time is the regular gathering of your family for time in God's word and prayer and worship and conversation and in living out the calls of scripture. It is the base strength of your overall uh, discipling strategy. It can be semi-sporadic or every day. It can be always changing or stable for decades but what your family discipleship time cannot be is non-existent. What, what does that phrase there mean? Guess what? You can have times of family discipleship in any location. It doesn't have to be at the kitchen table. It doesn't have to be in the living room. It definitely doesn't have to be at church. You take opportunities as God presents them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you have got to make sure that you make time for your children, your grandchildren to hear the word of God, to worship, to pray, to do all those things. Two uh, components of time, real quickly. Rhythm. Being steady, uh, designating the times which commitment and have con- that have commitment and consistency. Intentionality. Be studied. Designing the times with planning and purpose. How, how many of you guys would, would probably know pretty quickly if, 
if I or one of our other great teachers in this church came into the pulpit unprepared. Now that happens sometimes by the Holy Spirit where he will just rip up a message and say, hey, I don't want you to preach today. That's, that's great. I'm okay with that. I don't have to be happy. I don't have to preach. I do have to win souls. But I don't have to preach to be happy. I don't have to pastor a church to be happy. I don't have to be in a church to be happy. These are all calls of God. But for me to have, be happy and have joy, that means that my all in all has to remain in Him. Yes. Because everything else is going to frustrate me and annoy me. Yes. Right? God is perfect. Yes. You are not. Amen. If you're trying to achieve perfection for your kids to see, you've already failed them. Because you want them to see the Jesus in you, not you. And the older they get, the more they will understand this revelation. But it takes rhythm and it takes intention. You've got to be intentional about how you convey the gospel to your kids. You've got, and, and, and listen, this, there's some, as kids age... This, a lot of this, it's a greater, as they age, they are more and more not only susceptible to the attempts of the enemy, but they have the mandate from God themselves to begin to listen and grow and to learn and to absorb what you as the parent are conveying, which is not your opinion, but the word of God. So we need rhythm and we need intentionality. No, I'm going to keep going, Cooper. Sorry. So in Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5 through chapter 7, um, Jesus taught um, a large crowd on the side of a mountain. Uh, it is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. You guys all know it well. In Matthew 10, he commissioned his disciples for the work of the ministry. In Matthew 13, 1 to 53, he sat down in uh, a boat by the sea and he taught a group of followers through parables. In John 3, 1 to 21, he had a small, intimate meeting to talk theology with one man named Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees. In Matthew 28, 16, the disciples went to meet the resurrected Jesus at a place and time he had told them about. This is where he gave them the Great Commission. And according to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, it was customary for Jesus to go to the Mount of Olives to pray with his disciples. At their request, he taught his disciples how to pray in Luke 11, 1 through 13. And in Luke chapter 4, 14 to 30, we see the part of Jesus' routine was to go to a synagogue on the Sabbath, which is comical, I love this, and sometimes he would even get up to teach from the Word of God Himself. Jesus had rhythm, and He was intentional about teaching other people. He did not wait for people to come to him. He went to them. If you're waiting for your kids to come to you and ask you about God, it's not going to... Now, it may happen to an extent by them being in church and hearing something and being inquisitive. But as they age and they, and they are in a home that is not discipling, they're in a home that is not conveying the message of God. Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about what you're doing or not doing. 
what I'm, what I'm trying to entice you to, to grab a hold of this hook is do not make the mistake of thinking that church life is Christian life. It's not. So just, just real quickly, some ideas for family, for discipleship time. You know, some of these are going to be easy ones. You know, family meals are, are a great time to disciple your kids. I'm not saying this has to be a one-hour, two-hour adventure down, you know, Nineveh. <laughs> okay? But ten minutes of some powerful conversation about the great I am at the dinner table is a profound effect. If I take a if I take a um, a rock or a pebble and I take that rock and I I throw it into the middle of this lake or the stream, what's it going to do? It's going to splash heavily and then it's going to have a ripple effect, right? And 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 sometimes when you are teaching somebody and it's like you're throwing a big rock and then it has a few ripples and then the water flattens out again. And it was just one moment in time that there was an impact. Sometimes the greatest impact is when you throw a small pebble out there with slower speed and less dynamics and less force hitting the water, less mass. And the ripples just kind of seem to keep going longer. It's amazing to me that, that what we think is small in the kingdom of God, God counts as something huge and great that can impact a nation. Brownsville Revival started with seven people in a prayer room in the basement of the church. And they kept to that unity for six or seven years praying for revival. And guess what? On Father's Day, I believe 1994, 95, revival broke out in power. Revival just didn't break out. There was work that had to be done. There was consecration that had to be done. There was wounds that needed to heal. There is unity that needed to happen. There was growth. There was maturity. God will wait for the mature people to pick up the mantle. Elisha was the only person alive that could pick up the mantle of Elijah. Why? Because he was the only one ordained to do it. All right. Okie dokie, okie dokie. Let's talk about moments. Charles Spurgeon said this, as we sow, we reap. Let us expect our children to know the Lord. Let us, from the beginning, mingle the name of Jesus with their ABCs. <laughs> I can't even see him. He's behind that keyboard, but...
kidding. She'll be 42. Amen. What was I teaching on tonight? Honoring your no, not honoring your wife. Okay, moments. Uh, family discipleship moments. Capturing and leveraging opportunities and the course of everyday life for the purpose of gospel-centered conversation. Now, this really is kind of my, my favorite here, is these moments, all of us naturally do this ourselves, but we need to learn to translate moments in uh, worldly moments, I like to say worldly moments into godly moments. So you have a worldly moment of dad, what happened to that squirrel on the road? What's all that fluid coming out of the squirrel? Right? right. That's a moment that could just be a normal, everyday, well, the, the squirrel got hit by a car, and it's, it's no longer with us. Right? Or it can be a moment at the appropriate age where you begin to talk about life and death. Right? You talk about how everything on this planet has its season and its course of life. These moments that I'm talking about, moments of, of loss. I mean, I experienced a lot of uh, deaths in my family as, at an early age because I grew up in, a, in an older family. So I lost a lot of people. And I'll tell you this story. I don't think I told this last week, but if, if I did, then forgive me. But I think it was last uh, Wednesday morning. Um, yeah, I did tell y'all a bit about this, but I learned more about the loss of my cousin's son, the 30-year-old. I, I learned that he, I, I talked to my, my cousin the other day, Barry, and he, he was just so glad to talk to me, and we talked for about 30 minutes, and he told me that his son had an alcohol problem. And he literally drank himself to death at 30 years old. And he had to put his own son, at 29 years of age, had to put him on hospice care. And watch his son pass away. And here's something I did not realize. And this is the, please know this is not a critical statement. Because I know saved and amazing people from every denomination from every type of church, because I was a chaplain, there's a lot of people in churches that are in a church, but they don't believe some of the teachings in that church. They honestly believe you, you can't be saved by your priest, you can't be saved by a bishop, you can't be saved by works, but you have to have a relationship with Jesus. And I believe Barry is this person, but nevertheless, he brought, because of his ex-wife, he brought his son W.C., and grew up in the Catholic Church. And as many of you grew up in the Catholic Church, whether it full, was full-time or sporadic, you know that one of the greatest teachings that they believe in the Catholic Church is, and they don't say it this way, but it is a demonstrative worship of false idols. Mary being one of them. Mary was the, the mother of what an amazing role Mary had. But we are not to teach our kids to worship Mary or to put Mary on some pedestal as being the greatest woman on the planet. Nor should we do that about Mother Teresa, nor should we do that about Donald Trump, nor should we do that about whomever. And I just when I talked to him, I got off the phone and I was just grieved and I pray and I hope 
that that he was saved when he died. And I asked Barry, I said, Barry, did you did you pray with him? And he said, Yeah, Cord, I, I really believe he was he was ready. He was ready to go. And that praise God. That's that's amazing when you hear a dad say that about his son. The point I want to make here is every moment that you have with your kids, whether it's a moment of them coming home saying they were made fun of, they were bullied, they were treated badly, a teacher titled them or said something, or maybe they got in trouble for something they didn't even do. Every conversation you have about that event or moment in their day can turn into a discipleship moment. A moment when you take out that the Holy Spirit is just like a, 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 a whittling knife where he is just carving. You, you listen to that term, you know, uh, masterpiece, right? Carson did her declarations the other night and she talked about being a masterpiece. But a masterpiece, yes, we achieve when we become saved. I mean, what an amazing gift that God is that he immediately translates us from death to life. But guess what? The process of sanctification is all your life. We should always be humble enough to say God is carving me into be even a greater piece of art for him, a masterpiece for him. That shines his great name. And guess what? For some of you guys, a lot, of the, a lot of the things that you would think has devastated your life and your witness to your kids is actually the conduit God will use for you to disciple your kids. You were a drug addict? Who cares? You had an abortion? God cares. But guess what? If you've repented, he has forgiven you. Right? You take those moments and you be vulnerable with your kids, of course, at a certain age. But let's be age appropriate here, okay? You're not going to have a conversation about AIDS with your three-year-old. Right. If you do, please come see me. Really, we got to work some things out, like, quickly. All right. A discipleship moment can come and go in an instant. But don't let trajectory... Of a person's, excuse me, I, I just totally missed this line. A discipleship moment can come and go in an instant, but don't let that make you underestimate its power. A single remark can change the trajectory of a person's life. Now, guess what? We, I know we all believe this, is that if you say something amazing and positive and God breathe, it can change a person's life in an instant. Everybody agree? Would you also agree you can change the person's life and the trajectory of their life by speaking death into their life? Absolutely. Right? So in the same way, when our kids frustrate us and they know you, they know when you're upset, they know when you're mad, they know when you, you know, you, you're getting to that point of just boiling over, they know that they can feel if a horse can feel a rider being tense and frustrated, your child can see through your body language that you're angry even though you're trying to look holy. But in your anger, that is a moment to disciple and say, you know what? I am so angry right now. And I shouldn't be. 
Will you please forgive me for being angry with you? Kids will look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, Daddy, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. Ah! You know, maybe the conviction, maybe that's what we need to do to see conviction flow in their life, is admitting, and I keep going back to this sermon after sermon after sermon, is just admit when you're wrong. When somebody tries to help you with the word of God and correct you. Even if you don't understand, just say, you know what? I do need to work on that area. I can grow in this area. I can, I can be better. And you couples, if you can learn to communicate with full transparency instead of talking down to each other, your conversations in your marriage will be better from tonight to tomorrow. The internet, there's not even a way. All this, you know, stuff. I said this in counseling earlier today. Well, how long, Pastor, how long do you think this is going to take? Well, how long do you want it to take? You determine how deep you want to go in God. You determine how important discipleship is in your home. If you want to be a mediocre Christian, then you will see mediocre results. If we want a mediocre church, then we will keep doing mediocre things. We need to expect the best from God because he won't give anything other than his best. But he will withhold. He will withhold when we do not want to obey him. Son, I told you to stop drinking and driving. But there's nothing really I can do about it. I want you to keep driving your mom's car. It's going to be okay. What parent does that? I, I would hope no parent is doing that. No, what do they do? You caught, you got caught drinking. This is serious. You have now lost your car. There's a good chance you'll never get that car back again from me. You're probably going to have to buy your own car. I mean, this is the kind of, uh, call me crazy, but I just, I've stopped enabling people because I did it for so long. And God was very unhappy with me. He loved me, but he was disappointed in me. And please don't sit there and say, well, God's never disappointed in us. I beg to differ. Read your Bible. You can vex the spirit. You can grieve the spirit. That's why those words are in there. Admit when you're wrong and healing will come on the wings of God. Admit. What power there is to, to, for your kids this goes back to modeling and moments. For your kids, not only to see their parents, you know, one of the greatest things we can do is for our parents to see, our kids to see us parents as lovey-dovey with each other. Now, Jody, don't reach over and try to kiss Dave. You were going in. I, she was going in, Dave. Automatic attraction, right when I said that. And he's like, Kids need to see their parents affectionate. Jesus needed to see his disciples having those intimate conversations, those debates together. Because he knew as he modeled intimacy that they would follow suit and they would model intimacy too. 
And it only got better in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and filled all of those men and women with power. Then the full component and understanding of disciples should happen because they had power to do so. Don't shy away from your family about, or your spouse about saying things that are considered, um, uh, what's the word? I don't know the word right now. But, but what I'm trying to say is things that are intrinsically um, just considered odd things in the body of Christ. One of them is speaking in tongues. I, you know, you could go anywhere. I could go preach anywhere to most any other crowd. But the minute I start talking about the baptize of the Holy Spirit. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. okay. You always, always, oh, he brought a Pentecostal preacher into our church. Way to go, guys. We've been avoiding the baptism of the Holy Spirit for years. And now he's showing us scriptures. Don't avoid the things with your kids that seem to scare other so-called mature Christians. Godly character. I love this. Let me go with these two components of moments here real quick. Characteristics of God, which means to know God. Who is God? Um, what has he done? What is he doing? What is he like? These are the characteristics and the moments, the questions that we, we should be asking our kids. Okay, how do you see God in this situation? Or, or what about a question that we're afraid to ask? Do you see God at all in this situation? Get your kids, get your family talking about it. So, where, so what is God doing about the economy? What is God doing about the presidency? Go Go after it. The Word of God holds all the answers to every single question. And did you know that 99.9% .9 of every question that's asked, the name of Jesus is the answer? I want to say 100%. The only reason I, I give that small particle of that less than percent is... Some people just seem to want to have a deeper explanation and you have to go so much deeper with them. And I understand that. I'm probably one of those people sometimes. But the name of Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. He's the answer to all of our blessings. He's the answer to all of our struggles. He's the answer to every disease that you're concerned about, every epidemic, every pandemic, every whatever. He is the answer. And our kids need to know that when you guys are struggling, your kids need to see that you run to the Father and not other people. Run to God. A couple of scriptures on moments. I'm going to land the plane here in just a few minutes. John 13 34. Jesus, just excuse me, just as Jesus has loved you, you are also to love one another. Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. When's the last time you've seen that? When's the last time you've seen people truly honoring other people above themselves? 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do we welcome people the way Jesus has welcomed us into the kingdom? It's a big one right there. It's a big one to the, your kids. Son, daughter, are you being welcomed to that kid that's sitting by himself or herself and is considered the worst of the worst in the school? Are you going and sitting with them and welcoming them into your life? These are discipleship moments that we can't, we can't miss. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, I see, I see so much provocation in the church these days. Not just destiny owls. People just poking and, 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 and making a commotion. And, and I haven't quite figured out if people enjoy that or if they even realize that they're doing it. But whether you know it or not, if you are promoting division, you are out of the will of God. There's just no other way to say it. If you're a person that divides and is trying to conquer, you are not being pleasing to God. Because you're not submitting to Him. Forget having to submit to people. Submit to God. If you cannot submit to God, how are you going to submit to any authority in your life? Okay. Don't answer all at once. It's okay. All right. Let's talk about milestones. And we'll end with this. Billy Graham, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Family discipleship milestones, making, excuse me, marking and making occasions to celebrate and commemorate significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of the family and the child. Talked about the stone in the water a few minutes ago. These milestones that we create, of, let, let, here's some examples. When you do a, a baby dedication, it's not just amazing and, and great to pray over a young child and dedicate them and anoint them in front of the church. It's also a milestone in that child's life. They may not be remember it, but somebody took pictures and, and the pastor hopefully gave them their first Bible written in there with something cute written or something, you know, see me in 50 years, meaning I won't be here. Uh -huh. You know, anyways, seek the Lord because I'll, I'll be gone. Okay. But, but you know, these are, these are milestones. Doing a water baptism, it's all biblical, but it's a milestone. You know, we, I feel like sometimes we celebrate birthdays more than they, we do spiritual milestones. When somebody is saved, this is, and this is what I don't get, and this, this uh, man, this is, this, this is frustrating to me. People in society now, church folk, would rather see a leg grow out than a person come to the altar and be saved. Why? Because they want to be stirred by the visual effect of that miracle. But the greatest miracle is when somebody comes to the Lord. 
We have just become so callous to that. Oh, pastor's doing the prayer of salvation again. We probably should, we probably should say it out loud with him. We become so monotonous in our Christian life and forget about the milestones. I remember in that high school basketball locker room when my coach, at, when I was 15, led me to the Lord. That was a milestone. The greatest moment of my life is when I gave my heart to the Lord when I baptized Bailey and Hayden in our bathtub. Those were milestones. When I baptized Candace, that was a milestone. When I saw, when I got up from the dead, and that was the first time that Bailey spoke in tongues, that was a milestone. God wants us to create an atmosphere where we celebrate milestones. I, I love how you parents will we'll go to the ends of the earth to celebrate your child's award, whether it's school, you know, choir, swimming, whatever sport it is, and you're there. And you, that's what a parent should be. Be there. Be in the stands. Be rooting them on. Be a coach. Be, be there when they, when they cut open their knees, steal them second base. Be there for them. Because those are discipleship moments and milestones that that child will remember. But guess what? Instead of just saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, we're okay. Stop crying. I'm going to help you with, with your knee. Say, hey, guess what? Isn't it awesome how Jesus just protected you? You didn't break a bone. This is only going to call for some, some hydrogen peroxide and a band-aid. Praise God. These are discipleship moments. You mix in Jesus and everything that you say and you do with your kids. And guess what? Why have some of y'all stopped praying over your meals in front of your kids? Are you kidding me? Hey, Cooper, say that. Are you kidding me? Thank you. All right. That was planned. So, so we've got to celebrate milestones. High school graduation. That's awesome. Yeah. But is it more important than your child being water baptized? Is it more important than the seeing your child receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and start dancing and praying in the Spirit? I know some of you aren't there yet, and that's okay because you've been taught differently. But I'm going to tell you, you need to read the Word of God and see what the Word, not what I say, but what the Word of God says about the baptism of the Spirit. And then you'll get it. Don't go by my Word. I could be lying to you right now. I'm not, but I could be. Two kinds of milestones, making and marking. Making is creating significant milestones to commemorate, celebrate, or commend spiritual growth. If you can take the time to write your kid's name on the wall and how tall they are every six months, you can take a moment to go through spiritual milestones. When your child learns a scripture, Throw a stinking party for them. When they can quote John 3, 16, go take them out to eat. Why? Because it creates a memory. It creates a memory in them. Wow, my parents were so excited 
when I came home from children's church with a scripture and a picture that I made. I mean, we, here's where Candace and I were. She did it because she's, she's a better parent. Candace, we were, at, we were somewhere, and she said, let's get this big old cork board. And I was like, that's 